Hey, before I begin my sermon this morning, uh, there's something I need to talk to you about as your pastor. Um, so three years ago, I initiated a conversation uh, with the deacons about my tenure as the pastor. Uh, at that point, I had been the pastor here for 20 years. Uh, that day, I expressed to the deacons that, uh, in my judgment, that it was not in the best interest of the church for me to be the pastor here indefinitely till I was 70 or 75. So uh, I told them at that time that I felt like um, that God had given me about three to five years and that when that time came that I would let them know. Uh, with that in the background, uh, about two and a half years ago, we began as a church our strategic planning that we in time called Vision 2020. And at that time, as we looked into the future, there were a number of conclusions that we reached. Uh, one of them was our directional statement uh, that we all know and love, that we exist to connect the disconnected to Christ, his church, and his cause. Also at that time, the big picture goal was to relationally connect the gospel to every person in Huntington and even beyond. Other conclusions that uh, were made at that time were that we needed to deepen our relational connections within the church, uh, upgrade our facilities, uh, intentionally raise up younger leaders, and to develop future givers. Uh, two years ago, as we were developing strategies for the, uh, these objectives, the pandemic hits. And church life has changed in the last two years. Uh, but despite that, we have seen God continue to work in a number of ways in the renovation of our facilities, the development of technology, uh, our live stream of our worship service on Sunday morning. Uh, we also saw the work of the church staff. I'm sorry, the staff search committee, the calling of a next generation pastor, and the ordaining of four new deacons. Uh, but to be frank this morning, um, the pandemic uh, has accelerated uh, my timeline. And last year, uh, God clearly impressed upon me that the spring of 2022 would be the time for me to step down. <clears throat> I began to communicate this with church leadership, including the staff, deacons, and the Africa team. And so uh, this morning I'm announcing uh, that I will be stepping down as pastor effective the last Sunday of April. Uh, please understand two things, uh, that I have a deep conviction of God's will and timing 
in this matter. And secondly, that this decision has not been made hastily. Um, I would say that I am not uh, retiring in the full sense of that word. I will continue to serve in uh, some capacity, but I do not know what or where that will be at this point. But I do feel that it will not be at the same level of responsibility or workload as it has been. Uh, I will share more in the days ahead, but in conclusion, um, I love you. I'm appreciative of the last 23 years, and I still believe that the greatest days are ahead for Huntington First Baptist Church. Um, I decided to do that at the start of my sermon because I want to preach this morning. And I hope that you would listen to me still. Um, in fact, I want to share this morning, in light of what I've just said, uh, I want to share something with you as the pastor from the book of Acts, which is what we are looking at this spring from now until Easter. And I want to talk this morning from the book of Acts about change. I felt like it was timely. Um, when I look at the book of Acts, I realize that the story in Acts of Jesus building the church is not a straight line story. It is a story filled with many unexpected turns. It is not a neat, simple progression of the gospel going into all the world. Uh, but if I would pause at this point, I want us to realize that for our personal lives, that's also true. Uh, somehow, we uh, tend to idealize the days that lie in front of us. Uh, we, we just kind of, and many times in life I think we think, you know, if I ever just get to this point, graduate, I finish this, whatever I do, that you, we just idealize the future and we just think, wow, it's just going to be this straight line story between A and B. But none of our lives looking back bear that out. It's never. It's never a simple, neat, little package story of, wow, and just then the next 20 years were just like so easy and simple. Life always has unexpected turns and change in it. Um, I want to talk about some of the change that I see in the book of Acts. Uh, and then, you know, I don't whether this sermon is a part of this sermon series, I guess it sort of is. It's going to kind of give you a little bit of overview of some of the things that were going on in the book of Acts. But next Sunday, I promise you, we are going to start uh, with uh, the core ideas of how Jesus was building his church through his spirit. But I want to talk about change. 
from the book of Acts. And I've wondered, just as we start in Acts 1, what were the expectations of the 120 in the upper room? What did they think was about to happen? What did they anticipate? My hunch would be that they are a lot like us. And what actually happened as recorded in the book of Acts was not really what they had in mind. And so there, there are five things that I just, as I looked at this this week, that I drew out of the book of Acts, particularly the first half of the book of Acts, that were changes that I, my hunch would be that the early church did not expect these. The first is that the number of followers changed. Uh, we know from Acts 1 that there were 120 in the upper room. So 120 in the upper room, that's kind of our baseline. That's where the movement after Jesus' three years starts. In Acts 2.41, day of Pentecost, it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. You talk about change <laughs> in the first hours of the launch of this movement, they go from 120 to over 3,000. It says in Acts 4:4. however, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. And so, uh, Acts 2, we have 3,000. By Acts 4, we have 5,000. Uh, in Acts 5.14, quite honestly, they lose control. It says in Acts 5.14, and the number, I'm sorry, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. So at this point, it's like there's no reason to put a numerical value on this. This is, this is beyond what we could count. But I want you to note that it says increasingly added. So God in Acts 5 is adding people to the church. In Acts 6, verse 7, it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples, get this word, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. They go from adding, they go from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000, to being added, now to being multiplied. I have a sense that the early church did not anticipate the explosive growth in the early years. The first thing that changed was the number of followers that changed. But also as I look at the book of Acts, the second thing is the response of the world changed. Now understand that in Acts 2, Peter preaches, 3,000 people are saved and baptized and added to the church. But when we come to Acts chapter 4, we see a change, at least in some in the world, in the way that they responded to the church. It says, now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed 
that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. In Acts chapter 4, persecution comes. And if you notice that scripture, they are arrested and they're put in custody. I won't read the scriptures, but we get to Acts chapter 5. The first time, 518, they are put in prison. This becomes a repeating theme. Acts 4, they are arrested for the first time. Acts 5, they are actually put into prison. By Acts 7, the first person is martyred. Great detail given to the story, Stephen. You understand? Acts 4, arrested. Acts 5, they are incarcerated. By Acts 7, the deaths have started. And in fact, we could, I could carry this theme on out into the book of Acts of the persecution and how it intensified uh, and the imprisonments and the death. But the second thing that changed, and I don't know, even though I know that Jesus had told the early disciples, the first disciples, that this was going to be the response of the world, I don't know after that first great day on the day of Pentecost that they anticipated the backlash, the response of the world changing. The third thing that changed was the group dynamics. Um, And this is actually a product of the explosive growth. Um, But we see this in the book of Acts, um, in Acts 6, 1. And this is the section that relates to the calling of the first deacons. But in Acts 6, 1, it says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, so this is a product of growth, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Uh, When the numbers increased, Different kinds of people were a part of the church. They, maybe before this time, we would say they were more of a homogenous kind of people. They were all kind of the same. But all of a sudden in Acts 6.1, they talk about, uh, really, and they're talking about Jewish believers, but some who were more traditional spoke the Hebrew, but there were others that were more, that weren't from Palestine, that were more from outlying areas, and they were more Hellenistic, and they probably spoke Greek, and there was a division. And the group dynamics changed. And so there is a complaint there um, from the Hellenists who believe that the, the Hebrews were neglecting their widows. This comes to a head as the chapters roll on. In Acts chapter 10, you have Peter's uh, encounter with Cornelius who becomes the first purely Gentile, non-Jew believer. This was such a monumental step that in Acts 11, 1 and 2, 
It says, now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. Now, at this point, Peter's the man. Peter's the man. And God leads him to preach the gospel to Cornelius, a purely Gentile man, not a Jew in any way. And he comes to faith. This is such a big deal. The church calls in Peter, the man. That's what a big deal it was. In fact, later it comes to a head even further in Acts 15, 1 and 2. Uh, and this is really where it came to a head and somewhat was settled by the church. Acts 15, 1 and 2, it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. No, it came to a head. It's like, what are we going to do? The group dynamics had so changed. It's like, what are the rules here? Do the people that are coming from, from, from paganism that are not Jews, shouldn't they abide by the Jewish rituals that all of us were raised with and, is, and they considered a part of their faith? And they, they come to the place, the answer is no. No, the gospel is for all people. But understand that one of the things that developed and changed in the early church was the group dynamics. The fourth one in the book of Acts, the fourth change that came was the center of activity changed. Uh, this is a kind of a geographical point. Uh, the day of Pentecost happened in the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the center of activity for the early church. But in Acts 8.1, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Notice that geographical point. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And so we just said, Luke has this note as he's writing the story that Acts 8, I don't know, it's several years in, but all of a sudden the persecution that we talked about earlier, the response of the world became so great that they were scattered out from Jerusalem. There's some place where they settled in at. There becomes a new center of activity for the Christian movement, and we see this in chapter 11, uh, verses 19 through 22. It, it becomes the city of Antioch, which is in Syria. And it says in Acts 11, verse 19 through 22, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, that's Acts 8-1, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them, 
were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. This is a, this is a turning point in the church geographically because of the persecution being so great in Jerusalem that they eventually settle uh, in uh, Syrian Antioch is what we say. There's another Antioch uh, later in the story. But this is Syrian Antioch. And then we see in chapter 13, verse 2, of that church at Antioch, it says, this is Acts 13, 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And the first missionaries are sent out from where? Antioch, not Jerusalem. You know, Jesus had told the first disciples in Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But th they didn't go until persecution came. But the church that became the center of activity was, I know the early disciples had no idea. It's like, you know, someday we believe in another couple years, Antioch, Syrian Antioch is going to be the place where it's really happening, and that's where we're going to have the, our home base for the gospel going out. But that's exactly what happened. But it was a change. I believe it was an unexpected turn uh, in the story of Acts. There's one final thing, the fifth change that occurred and it's pretty significant the personalities of leaders of the leaders changed I'm going to preach on leadership next week and God calling out leaders um, and I'm pretty sure I know where my starting point is going to be it's in Acts chapter 2 the spirit comes the crowds gather they hear the praises of God in their own dialects. And somebody has to say something. David Shaw, who's that going to be? <laughs> you know it's going to be Peter. Uh, no, it's like somebody had to stand up and say something. In fact, the whole conversation of the context of our sermon series of I will build my church, that statement by Jesus, I will build my church, he makes that to Peter, who's made the profession. So it's not shocking to us that Peter, as I described it, is the man. He stands on the day of Pentecost. When persecution comes, who are they looking for? Peter. Who gets imprisoned? Peter. Who's threatened? Peter. Um, but there's something that happens change that occurs in the book of Acts and it really starts back in chapter 7 but it is the rise of Saul of Tarsus uh, Jesus encounters Saul of Tarsus who becomes Paul 
on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. But there is this statement that Luke makes in Acts 9, 26 and 27. After Saul of Tarsus is converted and begins to preach the gospel, it says in Acts 9, 26 and 27, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Obviously, he'd been a persecutor of the church. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Saul of Tarsus is introduced to the powers that be, including Peter, where? In Jerusalem, where the center of activity had been. But this is, this is interesting. And it really starts here in Acts 9. And there's the story in Acts 10 and 11 of Peter and Cornelius. There's also a story of Peter in prison in Acts 12. But we get to Acts 15. I'm pretty sure this is accurate. Uh, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. In Acts 15 is the last time, as Luke is writing the story of the early church, that Peter is mentioned. Who becomes the man? Who becomes the driving force of Christianity uh, after... 15 years, Saul of Tarsus, and the rest of the story is dominated by Paul. I guarantee you the early church did not see that coming. The personalities of the leaders changed. So when we look at the book of Acts, it is a story filled with unexpected turns. The number of followers changed. The response of the world changed. The group dynamics changed. The center of activity changed. And finally, the personalities of the leaders changed but hear me the reason I've said all of that today but Jesus and his intent that he declared to build his church did not change Yes, it's a story of twists and turns and the unexpected. But the one constant, church, hear me, the one constant 
is the declaration of Jesus, I will build my church. And in all of those chapters, the driving force, in the midst of all of the change, and in, in really a church that formed that was beyond the expectation and the anticipation of that first 120 that were in the upper room, Jesus was the constant. Jesus is the constant in the midst of change. It's true in the book of Acts It is still true today. Yeah, life changes. I can look out on this crowd and I know. I could talk about change in my life, but I know you well enough. There's been unexpected turns and twists in your story. I want you, I want us, to be encouraged that Jesus is the constant in the midst of change. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he still does that today. And I wanted to share that with you as your pastor on this day that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can be encouraged in the midst of change that Jesus is the constant. Amen? If you don't say amen, I'm going to keep preaching. I've got 12 minutes left. Y'all have never known me. We did cut one song out this morning. Y'all have never known me to finish at 1148, have you? So we will sit here quietly for 12 minutes. Think about what we've done. No. Um, I want to pray. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray. And Brother Shane is coming. I know. He was, was getting his customary cup of coffee from the um, <clears throat> outspoken Sunday school classroom or something during this time. And caught him off guard not really um, hey I will um, we ask that you take this time in this final song uh, for you to spend your time in uh, allowing God to speak to your heart about what he would say to you today at the end of this song I'll be at the front, um, and um, as you have decisions to make uh, related to salvation, church membership, if you need somebody to pray with you, uh, we'll be available. Um, but I do want to—I want to do one plug, and I know we do our announcements earlier in the service. But um, I think, in light of this morning. Let me encourage you to be here tonight for our uh, prayer and praise, prayer and worship time at 6 o'clock. 
It's very simple. We'll read scripture. We'll pray. Um, and just encourage you uh, to be here uh, tonight. Father, today we thank you for your unwavering commitment, love, and passion to pursue us and to build your kingdom, to build your church. Father, to build First Baptist Church of Huntington. So, Father, we thank you for um, that encouraging word. And Father, we pray that as the Spirit of Jesus moves in our midst in the days to come, that, Father, we would surrender our hearts to him, to you, that, Father, you would build our church to your glory and for your honor. Father, and we trust this to you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.